In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. St. Albert the Great, pray, pray for, for us. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. St. Francis and Claire, pray for us. Thank you, Lord, for the great gift of our friendship, for bringing us together Amen. 30 years ago to Amen. just fall in love with you and be brothers. We just ask that that joy that you've given us to share. <laughs> mm. Man, remember in the old days, <laughs> that that would shine forth and, and lift people up Amen. and uh, that we'd bring a word of hope and peace to people who, who need it right now. We ask this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Mary, pray for us. Pray for us. May your glory shine through us in our talk. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Oh, isn't God good, man? Amen. He is. He's the Lord. All right. <laughs> it's so good to see you. You too, man. <laughs> We're going to go there today, folks. Um, I'm going to venture to say that most Catholics do not understand the Pope. And I'm not talking about this Pope or any particular Pope. I really mean the Pope in terms of the papacy. What's the purpose of the papacy? What's the role of, of a Pope in the life of the church? What's the role of the Pope in my life? What things that a Pope says do I have to pay attention to and conform my life to? What things can I kind of let pass? And that lack of understanding, I think, is producing right now more pain, division, confusion, and, and most especially spiritual distraction than I've seen it in my lifetime. And, and, and I think the spiritual distraction is the worst piece because God wants you to be grown in holiness. He wants you to be grown in joy and in peace. And so many people are getting lost and upset in, in endless amounts of church news. Uh, I want to clear some things up for you today on the Chris Stefanik Show with my dear friend Mike Sorella to help you discover whew, some joy again that results when you're thinking straight. Before we dive in, uh, I want you to go and sign up for our newsletter. Go to reallifecatholic.com. If you sign up for the newsletter, you get to see this show. It's spelled out nice show notes. You can skip to the parts that you want and just click on different questions and stuff like that. And you get all sorts of more when you sign up for the newsletter, reflections, written reflections, all that stuff. So make sure you don't miss out on that. Now, onto the topic at hand. Um, many people find themselves disagreeing with the Pope today. Uh, and that's not unique to this Pope. Throughout my lifetime, I've seen people disagree with the Pope on various things. Of course, right now, I see it happening more than ever. And now it might be something that he says about American politics that has somebody feeling alienated and hardcore papists maybe are saying that, that you're not a good Catholic if you don't agree with something the Pope said about American politics. Um, it, it, or, or maybe they're saying, good, I'm glad that you feel alienated because I've never liked you anyway. <laughs> uh, maybe you find yourself disagreeing with his leadership style, that he might say things that allow for a lot of wiggle room, things that cry out for clarity. Uh, because you see people step into that space of wiggle room and, and do stuff that seems to conflict with everything you've learned throughout your life as a Catholic. Uh, maybe it's the leadership style that, that allows a lot and has permissive in certain areas, but then uh, <clears throat> fires a, a favorite bishop of yours, or maybe the bishop of your diocese without a lot, without a lot of charitable explanation offered that leaves you feeling abandoned. Maybe you find yourself disagreeing with the Pope because you fell in love with the traditional Latin Mass uh, when Pope Benedict XVI allowed that, and the experience you're having as a Catholic, maybe you don't have any agenda with that, you don't hate the, the, the ordinary form Mass, but your experience as a Catholic is giving you spiritual whiplash, where it's like, this Pope says this, that Pope says that, I, I'm, I'm on the in, I'm on the outs, I don't know. Okay, if you're in any of the above categories, first I want to say, 
I'm not going to be commenting endlessly on Pope Francis's leadership and specific policies in this episode. So if you want to write customer service with a complaint, Chris Stefanik is anti-Pope Francis. He shouldn't be speaking at this or that Congress. Okay, save the pen in your save the uh, ink in your pen. Um, uh, I'm not anti-Francis unless you want to claim that listening to people and their pain is anti-Francis, which would be very ironic. Um, this is not about him. What I'm about to talk about is about you, the person feeling uh, alienated, confused, trying to square your discomfort with certain things going on in the church right now with your love of Catholicism. I just got to say, you're not crazy. Take a deep breath, all right? But you might be a little heretical, <laughs> but that's easy to fix, all right? Because I think a lot of times if people struggle with the papacy, whether it's John Paul II or Benedict or Francis, if they struggle with a particular pope and something he's said or done, a lot of times the discomfort they feel at their core that distracts them from living the spiritual life and becoming saint, insert your name here, stems from ideas about the papacy uh, that we need to smooth out so that you can recover your peace. Whew. How was that intro, Mike? All right, we're done. Thank you. <laughs> see you. No, God but it was, great. it was great. That was great. Uh, so Thank you. I know of no Thank better person. Thank you for having this episode. Yeah, thanks. But yeah, this conversation yeah. needs to happen. Yeah, it does. It's just, and it's the kind of conversation people like to avoid yeah. and push off, yeah. but it really needs but to happen. But don't be afraid. This yeah. is a good conversation. And, and it's have. for yeah. people who are struggling right now. Right. Uh, I can think of no better person to go through this with than you, brother. Well, but God bless you. In part because in my years at Steubenville, uh, I learned a lot from Scott Hahn and yeah. Dr. Shrek, but like my best memories are hanging out at your house till one in the morning with this young student. We'll get into this, this in a future episode, who had a conversion, was following the Grateful Dead on the road, and then is like a theology genius who memorized the Summa in its entirety. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least as close as I've seen to that. Uh, I, I love you so well, likewise, much. Likewise, I love you too, man. <laughs> and I, I mean, just, it, those are my. Favorite memories. I, too. We fell in love with the Lord wonderful. together, man. I know. I know. It was great. It, it was, was great. incredible. And a whole group of us. <laughs> yeah, it's so we'd awesome. be praising God for hours and hours every night. Oh, it's and, pure joy. Uh, oh, it was. Absolutely. Okay, so yeah, let's yeah. dive in. Okay. Before we, we dive into a lot of the, the, the issues, first, I, I, we need to debunk this. There's yeah. a, there are a growing number of voices who feel comfortable asserting right now that they think that Pope Francis isn't even the Pope. Right. Could you respond to that? Well, uh, Yes. <laughs> He's Pope. There's a lot of uh, different reasons why different groups of folks will think he's not Pope. Yeah. There's everything from your kind of boilerplate state of Vicantism, Diamond Brothers style, all the way... State of Vicantism means oh, the right, seat is the, empty. The, the, yeah, there's no there's, Pope. There's no Pope. There, the, the Francis isn't the Pope and there's no Pope. Uh, all the way to uh, the idea of Bene Vicantism. That Benedict was the, the Benedict last pope. Did, Yeah, Benedict was Pope, not Francis. He didn't really resign, all this, all this stuff. Uh, what we have to do is just go with what the church leadership presents to us. Popes, the, the question about whether a pope can lose an office or whether a pope was legitimately elected, these are questions related to uh, the issue of anti-popes, and we've had some anti-popes during the so Great Western Schism. Excuse me, it's happened. Yeah. But it's not really for us as private individuals to, to determine that. You may be convinced, like St. Vincent Fer Ferrer or St. Catherine of Siena, that, that somebody is a, the true pope and the other guy's not, or the other guy's a true pope and the first guy isn't. Yeah. And in fact, Catherine of Siena and Vincent Ferrer disagreed on who was the pope, and Vincent was wrong. Yeah. But you may be convinced of that, but in the end, nothing short of a, an official juridical determination by the hierarchy will be sufficient. And usually... Uh, 
during a pope's lifetime, that doesn't occur, usually. So it would have to be posthumously. So at this point, we accept Francis as pope. That's the right attitude. Good. Uh, but Good. I mean, the reasons for not wanting to have to do with concerns about what he's doing, you know, what he's right, doing. Right, right. So I, yeah. I, I think some people go here, and, and there's some people I've been surprised who, who are have solid minds and right. who are good people who have started to go here uh, publicly. Um, and the, the reasons they, they lay out, I think, are often really, there's so many huge holes in it that it's right. so spiritually irresponsible just to like, blah, I have a Twitter account, right. therefore I'm going to say this. Um, but I think the reason a lot of them go there has to do with, with this fear that if they see the Pope saying something that, that strikes them as, as wrong, that that somehow pulls this thread on Catholicism and the entire gospel unravels, right? Because, the, and, and I think this is rooted in, in a heretical understanding of the Pope uh, and of the papacy, that the Pope is this perfect oracle of God, this, this, this rod to heaven that the right. Holy Spirit strikes, right, right. And, it's, and, if, and he's got to be 100% right about everything all the time. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it all just crumbles, right? right, right. Um, so here's the question. Can a pope be wrong? C can someone perceive something in it, John Paul II, Benedict, Francis, that they think, that seems totally off. And, and could they be right about that? Yeah. Well, that, that's, the way you asked it is an easy answer. Yeah, he can be wrong. <laughs> yeah. But to, to put a finer point on it, can he be wrong about, I mean, he could be wrong about who's going to win the World Cup or something. Right, right. Or, you know, he could be wrong about some prudential judgment in the economic order. Not about ethical principles in the economic mm -hmm. order, but just, you know, it was about immigration or something very, very particular he could be wrong about. But, to put a finer point on it, could the Pope be wrong about a matter of faith and morals in a magisterial teaching that's not definitive? That's very okay. difficult, though I don't think, yeah. yeah it's a, so it's let's a spell that out. It's debated as to whether or not that's even an issue right now, but a magisterial statement, right. That's not definitive, right? Define that. Well, okay. So, uh, so if a pope is giving an interview, or for example, Benedict wrote the Jesus series, those books, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth, or if you're old enough, you may remember John Paul II wrote Crossing the Threshold of Hope, as pope, but they, it's clear that that was their position as a private theologian, okay. Uh, or Francis is giving an interview on a plane. That's not a magisterial act. Even if it's a, a, a local homily uh, at Santa Marta or something, um, that's not a magisterial act, even though he's maybe teaching from the pulpit. He's not teaching in his office to the whole church. He's yeah. giving us homily, not even to the whole diocese, but just to people in there. So magisterial teaching has to have this kind of uh, authority, invocation or use of authority. It doesn't have to be verbally, but it has to be performative. So he's teaching officially the whole church in an encyclical or something like that. Yeah. Right? Okay, and so then, that's, that's an official yeah, yeah. papal document. So, so first document it has to be a, using yeah, the, official. The, the power of, Absolutely. of the papacy, the anointing of the papacy. So that's first. And then second, um, some of those, some of the things that popes say and write in their documents are definitive and infallible. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're newly definitive, like Pius XII's dogmatic definition of the Assumption of Mary. Other times they're just reiterating something always taught and that's definitive and infallible, but not in virtue of a solemn definition, but like when Paul VI reaffirmed the 2,000-year teaching against contraception. Yep. I mean, that's from the beginning. That's from the New Testament all the way through Paul VI and Humani Vitae. That's infallible, but not in virtue of Paul VI, but in virtue of its being definitively insisted upon consistently for the whole. Then there are other things in papal documents that are not taught 
uh, definitively and in a binding fashion, but that are presented, and those are the things that we have to accept with religious obsequium or, or willingness to accept it uh, okay. religiously, but not as a matter of faith. That's a lot of technical language. Um, I, I think that it, the helpfulness of this technical language yeah, is yeah. to spell out to people that infallibility is not a black and white issue. That's right. This is not the Pope says or thinks or does or sneezes in this way. That's and right. You have to therefore That's agree. Right. right. And, and a lot of times it's hard to know without a high level of theological knowledge exactly what I need to to No, it is, to. It, it is tough. And, and I'm finishing up a, a, a book on this, uh, but it, it's going to take another year or so. Okay. It's a year or so out. It's now, we'll talk again in a year yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but let's go back to the first... But the, but the simple yeah. point, to keep it simple, is some things popes say magisterially are binding and infallible, and other things are non-definitive, non-infallible, and on occasion they can be wrong and revisable, and the, the historically that's happened. Okay. Uh, but that's, the, the, that's rare. rare, but rare given the 2,000-year history of the church. I mean, you may be living through the Arian crisis, and it may not seem rare to you. It yep. may seem like all I've ever known is my bishop keeps telling me Jesus isn't God. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but in the 2,000-year history of the church, that's rare. A member of the magisterium making a mistake like that. It's rare, but it's been happening. But it can happen. And, and it's been happening for a long time. And people aren't aware of this. And I, I think, yeah. well, well, this isn't technically a pope teaching on something. But doing something that implies an erroneous teaching, yeah. right? Yeah. I think of Galatians 2. Yeah. Peter, I mean, we're talking about the first pope, right. was doing stuff that implied uh, heresy. That's, he, and and he, then Paul confronted him. Spell this right. out for us. He what was, happened? So Peter, before the Jewish Christians from Jerusalem came to visit in Antioch, yeah. Paul and Peter are having table fellowship, just eating with the Gentiles and worshiping with the Gentiles. But some Jewish Christians, some, not all, because Paul and Peter were Jewish too, some Jewish Christians had this notion that was mistaken and corrected by the apostles in Acts 15, that um, in order to become an, an, an heir to the promise of the Messiah, you have to become a Jew. So to yeah. become a Jew, you've got to get circumcised. So if Gentiles are uncircumcised, they're not justified. And that's not true. Paul spent a lot of his time in his letters explaining why that's not true. But when these Jewish Christians who had this notion came and visited Antioch, Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles and he would only eat at the table with the Jews, sequestering himself off. And Paul is saying performatively, not verbally, but yeah. in his behavior, that is really in essence denying the gospel, which is that justification, forgiveness of sin, and communication of sanctifying grace doesn't come through circumcision. Yeah, so it he, comes through faith and baptism. Yeah. So he was doing something that implied that undermined, total error. That undermined the gospel. Yeah. And Paul... He said, yeah, he said, I, I, I resisted him to the face and corrected him. And, and great patristic commentaries like St. Augustine uh, will say, Peter was silent. He silently accepted Paul's correction to give an example for popes to accept correction in humility. Wow. But this, we should back up a little bit yeah. and talk about the, the essence of the papacy itself as a divinely revealed mystery because it is. Yeah, cause that, but that shows right there that infallibility doesn't mean that every single pastoral decision of every pope throughout no, history right. is something that everybody has to look at and say, well, that's directly from God. That's right. The pope did X, therefore it's the Holy Spirit doing it. It's like, he's not the incarnation of the Holy Spirit, man. Yeah, yeah no, that's right. That's, right. <laughs> that, that's idolatrous. Yeah, yeah. That's idolatrous and that's also superstitious and that's, that's the people who lampoon the Catholic faith like or if it's all magic, you know, you just take a sacrament and it's all magic or you get in a position of office and everything yeah. you say is true. And that's, lamp that's lampooning. That's, that's lampooning something we don't believe. That's yeah. not a Catholic doctrine. You say it's a heresy. Yes, it's like a heresy. It's, a, it's an error. Yeah. It's not what the papacy really is. So what is it? Yeah, so what is it? Okay, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, you just take no, over. No, no. <laughs> you, talk, well, you, can, you can answer that too. I know you no, can. I want you, I'll, let's go yeah. there. 
What is the papacy? Well, um, you can look at a lot of passages of Scripture for it, right? One special passage is in Matthew 16 where Jesus says, who do people say I am? And they answer, and then he says, who do you say I am? And then Peter, really kind of speaking on behalf of the rest of the apostles, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So he makes a profession of faith. This is the essence of the gospel, that Jesus is, is God. He's the Son of God, and he's our Savior. And Jesus responds, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, mm-hmm. and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, uh, and what you, you bound on earth is bound in heaven, heaven etc. And you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. That's a key. All the fathers, there's a consensus of fathers of the church and medieval theologians like Aquinas and others, yeah, Albert this is the not Great. invented in the 1500s. No, 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 that's right. It's in scripture. Yeah. It's in scripture. But their interpretation of this is really spot on. They, Jesus is wisdom incarnate. So he chooses his metaphors perfectly. Mm. That's the presumption. And so if he's calling, he's likening the papacy, the office that he gives to Peter that's supposed to be passed on to the role of a foundation in a house, what is the role of a foundation of a building? Mm. Well, uh, it's, a, it's an ultimate principle of unity. The parts of a building hold together with nails and or glue or mortar. You know, there's all yep. sorts of joining things. But if the foundation isn't good, those, and the shifts happen, all the parts are going to fall apart. And so a foundation provides more deeply than any other kind of joining material a unity to all the parts. Now, mm. applying that to the church, we're a bunch of members in the church, right? Well, how are we united? Not physically with glue or even with a physical foundation. We stand upon somebody's head, but spiritually. So the unity of the church is a unity of faith. We profess the same faith, a unity of grace and sacraments. We receive the same sacraments and a unity of the hierarchical communion, which is a That's unity awesome. of charity. Okay, and so, and so the Pope really, so what the church has seen in this passage is Jesus revealing that the role of the Pope, the essence of the papacy, is to provide for the uni- a visible head, providing for the unity of faith, morals, sacraments, and governance, and charity. Governance is really supposed to be about charity, not control, but charity, um, uh, not domineering dominion. And so Christ and the Holy Spirit are the ultimate foundation of the church that are unshakable, but he chooses the Pope to be a visible foundation of unity, sacraments, and governance. So that's the role and, of the papacy. And praise God for that. And that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. But Peter himself uh, both succeeded and failed at different times, and it's a great gift that this is recounted, narr- narrated in the scripture. So Peter professes Christ. Fantastic. His profession of, profession of Christ's identity as God the Son unites us all. Okay, it's a principle of spiritual unity and faith. But then Peter also denies Christ as Pope three times mm. and even cusses, curses, mm. and denies Christ. Mm. Three t- so he can make a mistake and repent and still be Pope. Mm. And so whether Peter is professing Christ or whether he's cursing and denying Christ, we're Christians because of Jesus Christ despite what Peter or his successors may or may not do. Now, that, now it's not that that's unimportant what they do. It's very important. Yeah. But, uh, but fundamentally, we need to be Catholics because of Jesus Christ and our love for him and our reception of his love for us. Amen. And I, I love that it goes right back to Scripture. Like God is, yeah, yeah, yeah. and this, is, this isn't even, this shouldn't be scandalous to anybody. Right. The, the entire Bible shows that God chose people to do extraordinary things who were extraordinarily flawed. And it's okay, yeah, it's okay yeah, yeah. to look at the flaws. Right. That's part of like, this, this church is about this guy yes. saving us. 
and, and the big mess that we all are, and, and yet we're still we still have people in leadership because the alternative to organized religion is disorganized religion. Right, <laughs> it's like right, God, God right. wants this, right. and sometimes we fail. And the papacy is a great blessing. Yeah. Um, despite the weaknesses of the office holders, and we're all weak sinners. There are fathers in Christ. There are also our brothers in Christ. So we should love them. We need to love them. Um, but another great blessing Christ promised Peter and his successors is in Luke 22, where he says. You know, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows, but I've prayed for you, Peter, and it's in the Greek in the singular, you individually, Peter, mm -hmm. that your faith may not fail. I mean, virtually the word infallibility is there, mm. but also the conditions are there. I've prayed wow. that your faith may not fail so that when you turn again, you strengthen your brethren and strengthen them not by pumping iron, but by strengthening them in the faith. So when the Pope is officially acting to strengthen his brethren in the faith in a definitive fashion, then there's a charism of infallibility, but that charism is not kind of constant and at, at all times. It's an extraordinary circumstance. The governing authority is constant. The infallibility yes. comes out sometimes. Sometimes. And, and so in the, in, in the way a pope governs, even though he could do things wrong, he still has got that authority. Uh, even if he does something wrong, he has the authority, doesn't lose yeah. it, doesn't cease to be pope. That's right, yeah. Um, but uh, the infallibility charism is they're especially tied into the what we call indefectibility of the church, meaning that the gates of hell will not prevail. The church mm. will always exist, even in a small form, yeah. uh, at, at every moment from when Christ establishes it to the end of time. And so because of the church's indefectibility, infallibility is important. Indefectibility means the church's essential elements of faith, those three elements of unity, faith, sacraments, and governance, mm. right, will not fall apart, fall away. So the true profession of faith will always be preserved, all seven sacraments will be preserved, and the hierarchical structure Christ established of priests, bishops, and pope will be preserved. Thank you, Jesus. If any of those, amen, if any of those fall apart, the church is gone and it's not indef indefectible. That is, the mm -hmm. gates of hell will prevail. But with respect to faith, in the Trinity, in the Incarnation, in the church, etc., uh, those elements have to be preserved or else the church will fall apart. Mm -hmm. And so that's where infallibility comes into play to assist in Christ, it's Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, yeah. in the Pope, also in councils at times, and even among the sense of the faithful too, preserving the true faith intact, in, at, at, even, in, even among a small group of people uh, to the end of time. So tell me sometimes where the, where the Pope has taught error. Uh, 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 not, not Francis, I'm talking yeah. about Pope Honorius. Right. Benedict, was it Benedict XV? Uh, John the twenty second. John the twenty second. Whom Benedict the fourteenth corrected. There you go. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm like Benedict the twelfth. I'm pulling out the, the, the memory files. I'm like the word <laughs> yeah. Benedict is. And as we get older, those yeah. files get corrupted. <laughs> like, where is this thing? <laughs> <laughs> it's in there somewhere. <laughs> yes. So, so tell, Anorius, tell, Anorius, tell us about it because yeah. honestly, it is comforting to to think like this. This again, this isn't something that is going to be a gotcha. Oh, did you see Honorius taught error? Right. Therefore, I'm pulling the thread. The entirety of Catholicism. No, right, no. right, right, right. That's right. The theologians and saints throughout, throughout the history of the church have been aware of these things, right. and it does square yeah. that this can happen. So tell us about these well, errors. First, a caveat. I, yeah. Before we get into it, a caveat is that among this problem you're talking about, this difficulty with thinking that perhaps everything or almost everything a pope says has got to be without error, is not a problem. Sometimes we call this a papal positivism or a... Uh, they call it a popolatry. Popolatry, or, or an extreme, <laughs> we call it extreme ultramontanism. Oh, yeah. but you don't need to worry about those terms, but, but yeah. basically it's uh, just an extreme view. 
But that issue isn't just among faithful, that issue's cropped up among theologians too. Mm. So, it's so, so when we talk about Honorius in a sec, or John 22nd, uh, there are other takes on these popes. Okay. So there's a debate in the theological okay. academy among Orthodox theologians okay. uh, 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 about this question. Okay. Okay. But it's I'll, becoming I'll more and more take. clear that, that, that error is possible in non-definitive. The way they put it is very respectful, that non-definitive magisterial teachings are reformable, which is a okay. way of saying they, they might be mistaken sometimes. Okay. okay. Reformable. Okay. Whereas infallible teachings are per se non-irreformable, which is a fancy way of saying they're true and you yeah. can't ever change them or contradict them. And it's pretty obvious when a pope is teaching in that way. Yeah. Oh yeah. You, like, usually I, though... I define and declare. That's one way, but right. there are other ways, like if it's a universal creed, like the Nicene Creed, yeah. and they, we are required to profess that. That's another... Def- definitive statement. And it's all the bishops or, and the Pope. Or when them. Trent issues anathemas about yeah. transubstantiation, they condemn as a heresy those who deny it. That's yeah. the reverse of that is a dogmatic okay. definition. So there's different ways it's expressed. But Honorius, it was but Honorius, this is yes. in, in a letter. This was in a, this, this, right. was, this, is, uh, this is still fairly official. It's hardcore. So this is, right, this is yeah. not a definitive dogmatic thing. No, it's thing, official. But it's, it was it's official. It's not a private letter. Yeah. It's a letter about dogma and doctrine and what may or may not be taught. So we're talking about the seventh century, 600s, late 600s, mid 600s. So he wasn't positively affirming that this thing is the case. He was saying what can and can't be taught. Well, so uh, no, no, he was uh, at least a bunch of us. Okay, yeah, yeah. Pretty clearly, if you look at the Greek text, he, it's a, it was written in Greek. He, he is telling a brother bishop that uh, not only may something called monothelism be taught. That may be taught, but monothelism just is the error. It's a heresy that Jesus only has one mono, one will, Hmm. the divine will. He doesn't have a human will. So it's a denial of his full humanity. Hmm. And he is fully human, so that's an error. So not only did Honorius tell his brother Bishop that that may be taught, because that was a question, like, may we teach this? He said, it is true. Oh, wow. So he affirms it very... Yeah, it is next level. So... So that's a problem, and then within years after he dies, this becomes a huge crisis, and Pope Agatho calls a church council, this is the third council of Constantinople in 681, 682, 683. Maximus the Confessor was the hero of that council. Um, And in it, the council posthumously condemns Honorius for heresy. Wow. And that condemnation forms part of the papal oath I know it's rough, it's intense. <laughs> yeah. There was a papal oath that came when they took office, they would pronounce this oath starting soon after Constantinople III and lasting all the way up wow. to like the 19th, 20th centuries. And they would reaffirm, they, in part of the oath, they promised that they will keep the deposit intact, the unity of faith, yeah. you know, unity of sacraments, unity of hierarchical governance. They swear this and, they, and then they, they say, reaffirm the condemnation of Honorius. And, by God's grace, I will not fall into that wow. or other similar errors. Okay, so that's pretty intense. Uh, that oath hasn't been professed recently. That doesn't, that's not a problem. Popes are still popes if they don't profess that oath. Peter didn't, St. Peter yeah, didn't profess that go. oath. John the 22nd, um, in, it started off in local homilies in Rome where he taught. So, that, was it, so he committed an error and it was, it was after his death. Oh, Honorius, yeah. yeah. he was... It, 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 Posthumously. That, it was condemned and, and corrected. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there are... There's Other there, interpretations of that. Well, that no, seems well, pretty well, straightforward. Well, uh, there's a debate about it. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like there are um, earthly authorities who can judge a living pope. Okay. 
We did have a Catholic emperors who would sometimes depose popes and throw them in prison yeah. and just end their papacies. Yeah. But we don't have that now. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank God. <laughs> so just stick around, though. <laughs> it, might, it might happen. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, well, evangelization first, but anyway, we'll yeah. get to that. That's so important. But, but uh, uh, yeah, so, uh, so it had to be posthumous, right? Yeah. Well, John the 22nd, John here, the 22nd. Here, here's a really intense one. John the 22nd is, was a very good pope in a lot of ways, but he taught these, he taught in, it started off in homilies. So you think, well, that's not a problem. It's not necessarily until he starts circulating it throughout Europe as an encyclical. So it started in a homily, and he says, when people die, they don't go right away to their judgment. And therefore, they don't go right away to hell or heaven or purgatory than heaven. They wait in a holding period, in a holding state, until the second coming and the general judgment. Then they go to heaven, hell. Okay, it's wow. um, now Clearly that's, not what the church teaches. Not only that, but that was against scripture. So in the book of Revelation, there are souls under the altar mm. who are in heaven, beholding the vision of God, crying out to the Lord, when will you uh, avenge our deaths? So history is still happening, and there are human souls in heaven. Mm. Jude, the epistle of Jude, which is very ignored, you know, it's, it's only one chapter, in verse 7, talks about people from Sodom and Gomorrah being in hell right now. Wow. This is before the... So John was intention, I mean, like really yeah. contradicting oh, yeah. scripture, divine revelation, and constant church teaching. A bunch of theologians and bishops tried to issue, like, kind of corrections or what we call dubia. Du dubia, are, they're not new, that's not a new thing, that's an old thing. You respectfully submit a request for clarification. It's because John took these local homilies and ordered them published as encyclicals. So now his scope of teaching is the whole of Christendom. Wow. And then theologians kick into gear. We're talking about 15th century, 1400s, kick into gear. They're like, this is a problem. Some theologians were saying, look, this is actually a heresy. Wow. One of them he punished, and, and, and he was the theologian was imprisoned. He threw him in jail. He was, in, was imprisoned. However, however... Talk about digging your heels in, It's man. a wonderful story, because yeah. John did actually express his desire to be corrected. Okay. And he accepted correction. Wow. So right, they say on his deathbed, well, be, soon before his death, he retracted publicly. Wow. It was a beautiful success story. Wow. So nobody had authority over him to punish him, of course, except Jesus, but nobody on earth. Yeah. But they remonstrated with him lovingly, at least some lovingly, like a father, like, father, it's not this way. And, and he did listen. And wow. then the, the very first act of the next pope, Pope Benedict XII, was to dogmatically define that upon death we go to our personal judgment with Jesus and then immediately to hell, heaven, or purgatory, and then heaven. So, so the error actually led to greater clarity, yeah, which is usually that's right. that's where the right. great clarities come from. It's in response to some heretical thing. That's right. right? But, but these errors are, are rare. They are rare. And there's a reason why they're rare. Yeah, where is this? Like when, when I think about those errors, yeah. a lot of people thinking, well, I can't make all the theological distinction between a, 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 a statement here and a statement there and this yeah, level yeah, of yeah. binding authority. Like yeah. wh where does this leave me on a practical level? Right. Like, what's the point of saying the Pope even has this power of infallibility? What, what's this doing for me if, I, if I'm... Confronted with yeah, a confusing if, situation? If, if John the 22nd could, could say that. Right, right. Now, uh, John the 22nd's issue with, with uh, the fate of the recently deceased yeah. can be a little bit more difficult. But if you're t talking about, let's just say, for example, not to get too much into the tall grass here, yeah. but if we're talking about, uh, let's say... Um, the, the claim that was kind of wondering if this claim was being made, that it's okay to divorce and remarry. Right. Maybe it's okay to keep having marital relations with your second yep. uh, spouse. 
uh, and you abandoned your first spouse. So right. you, you have an abandonment there, a divorce that you committed. Yeah. No, these are real struggles people have, right? There's things yeah, that, that, yeah. that Francis hasn't overtly and, said, but has right, so, uh, certain it's not policies clear what, that yeah, like, right, I'm right. not sure what he but, thinks, where I'd love him to step but let's in. Say, so let's say this is an issue, and, and, and then you're hearing, all of a sudden we're hearing maybe what's being suggested is that's okay, and you can keep receiving communion. You don't have to try to live yeah. in continence. Yeah. And then you may know, and I think more people do know this now than in the John the Twenty Second situation where you just had experts. Now it's more regular Catholics in the pews who kind of know, well, no, John Paul II, uh, Paul VI, I mean, if you know more, you know it goes all the way back to uh, Casti Canubii and Pius or Arcanum with Leo the Thirteenth, and all the way back to the New Testament, he who divorces his wife and marries another is committing adultery, or Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. He who eats and drinks communion unworthily eats and drinks condemnation onto himself. Mm. So we may know this yeah. and, 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 and as non-experts, and they go, "What do I do with this?" Well, what you do is, um, if there's something am- you said it's kind of not clear, I think that's right. It's ambiguous yeah. whether this is being suggested, uh, uh, and there's no clear, you know, rejection of the prior teaching. If you're aware of the prior teaching and how definitive it is. Yeah. And you could re- and maybe you don't know. Maybe you would you would uh, you you would call you talk to your pastor or email a professor at an Orthodox Catholic school, you know, mine, a Franciscan University or Ave. So and then yeah. you can ask them to to help you work th- work through. I think most priests, well it depends I guess where you are, but a lot of priests can help you through that. And basically the principle is this that the clear, solid, definitive teaching on marriage and reception mm-hmm. of communion you go with that, and the more ambiguous or unclear or teaching of a less higher degree, a lesser degree of authority, you don't go with that. And then the charge could be, well, you're a Protestant. You're just using your own private judgment to choose right, what right. you want to so But no you're, no, you're not. When you appeal to JP2, Familiaris Consortio, or the catechism, or the, Catholic, the official catechism of the Catholic Church, you look at that, I should have mentioned that first. You know, you're looking at official public documents of the church, not your private judgment. And you're appealing to that, to adhere to that, what Jesus taught us, what was faithfully passed on, and to, yeah, I think you could say ignore or not be troubled by the ambiguous nods and winks or, uh, you know, otherwise just unclear kind of statements that maybe, maybe you don't have to follow what we do have to follow. Yeah. yeah, and you're not being a Protestant. Yeah, no, no, I don't want to be a minimalist, but there's, no, there's no, a lot right. that I ignore. Yeah, yeah. Um, if something seems ambiguous, then I think, well, I'll wait till clarity comes yeah, yeah. and keep living my life based on what I've always been taught. Uh, or if something is given in a non-definitive way, uh, I, I feel free to say, well, I, 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 I can barely keep up with reading the, the Gospels. Like to have to. Yeah, sort through and make sense of everything. There's full-time professors who do that. Right, I'm right. raising six we, children. We do that. Yeah, you don't <laughs> have to play insider yeah. theology ba- uh, uh, doctrine yeah. baseball. You don't and, have to do right. that. And, and then if it becomes a super clear thing, yeah, like let, Pope Francis has not said this, but if he came out and said, yeah, I, it is not sinful for someone to divorce yeah. and remarry without then an element. Yeah. That's but, next but he hasn't level. said no, that. No, exactly right. That's you know, right. Uh, but there's a lot of things he hasn't said. But that's again, right. that people are that's running right. with with the wiggle room. No, no, that's right. Uh, but um, but there's a danger here, and you yeah. mentioned it earlier. And the danger is getting so caught up in these issues, and getting almost obsessed it's by it. Spiritually unhealthy. Yes, you say it's a distraction, but distraction, it's a very serious problem. And I know the enemy utilizes this. Yeah. 
It's, it's the same way in other areas of life where you cop a resentment against somebody and then you just kind of, your mind just focuses on them and it's all pointing out, you know, this is a problem. What's the Pope saying next? Or what's the Synod going to say? Or what's this? Or what, whatever. Uh, and, and, then, and then all of a sudden, what's happening? You're, you're focus not, on Jesus. On Jesus and, and my relationship with him. And what do we need yeah. to work on next, Jesus? What, 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 what next can you save me from that I, that separating me from closer union with you? Yeah. You know, and that's what the enemy would just love us mm. to not get closer to Jesus. Amen. And, he and this is a wedge, yes. right? So it's not that you, you, we don't pretend that there's everything's fine and there's no nothing's on fire. Okay, right. we don't pretend that. <laughs> yeah. But on the, on the so that's one extreme. Right. Like the emperor's has clothes when he doesn't. Yeah, you're not allowed to say there's concerns about anything. Like, no, that's right. Come on. But on the, the other the, end, the other extreme the is getting that. obsessed. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, your spiritual life becomes a wreck. You know, both those extremes. I've, I've, had, I've, I've been tempted to both. I've fallen into both, you know. Yeah. Both those extremes are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Right? Which is a, a deification of the, of the Pope. No, that's right. That's a good point. Right? What, what, whether whether I, I can't look at any problems or I'm obsessed in the problems, it's like you're, you're raising this person up more than God right, did. Right, And I, I remember, and this isn't for me a Francis thing. I remember being at Stephenville and reading some of the theology of the body stuff and saying, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that point that he made and the way he said it, it's going to be misleading or whatever. And that's, that's just what I thought. Yeah. And yeah, I've yeah. shared this with friends who are like, you can't say that. The Pope I, I remember, said it. I, I, remember, I was in some of those conversations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking yeah, like, yeah. wait, the Pope didn't say this definitively. Right, I mean, this right. is kind that's of okay right. for me to say this. It was okay for Paul to say I opposed Peter to his face. Like, right. you're getting the whole thing yeah, wrong, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, then, right. and then the burden we bear, it, 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 uh, this is the, the other thing that the evil one would love. He'd love us to scare Protestants away who are looking at Catholicism thinking, those people are all nuts. Absolutely. That's you know, cause right. Because I, 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 it right. it's crazy making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, right. I, can't, I can't keep up with, again, I can barely keep up with reading my scripture for the day, let alone every, if, in my lifetime. You, you'd have a stack filling that wall of everything all the popes have said in my lifetime. Right, right, you know? right. Um, but I, I, uh, I also, I just want to call us back to this too. And I love how you said this, that the papacy is such a gift from Jesus who loves us. Yes. And yes. he gave that gift to us. Um, I'll never forget being at World Youth Day with my son, Joey. And there was a, a feeling in that field in Portugal that, that I had in 93. And, in, and, De- in Denver. In Denver. Yeah, yeah, yeah Like yeah. With, with Francis, with, with, with John Paul II. And, and my, my son, who's, he's a smart kid and he's familiar with all the church news going on. He's like, right, right. the seat is not empty. And... and and there's an anointing on that man. And, and he talked, my son was just spiritually reflecting out loud. Well, he's a wise kid, talking yeah, about yeah. David and, 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 and Saul. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. Even if people have a struggle with him, right. this is God's anointed for a yeah, specific yeah. task. That doesn't mean he's God. Wow, right. I love that image. That's really in- Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but the anointing is yeah. for us. It's not yeah, to, to yeah. burden us, but right. to serve us. That's right. Uh, but we have to receive the anointing in the right way for it to serve yeah, us yeah. and bring us closer to Jesus. No, no yeah. doubt, no doubt. So some people are, are going to object and say, no, but it is important that we uh, focus more on, on the Pope and these problems or alleged problems or perceived problems or real problems because it's going to prevent people from becoming... So you say what can prevent people from becoming Catholic is our rancorous grappling with this. Right, Absolutely. Right. But another thing that people argue, and yeah. I, th- I have a response for it, yeah. It's like, well, Francis himself is going to drive people out of the church or prevent people from becoming Catholic. But I'll tell you this quick anecdote. Uh, his good friend lives down the street from us. I live in a neighborhood a couple blocks down of Scott Hun. 
a couple blocks down is John Bergsma yeah. and some other great professors too. Okay, real strong Catholic Imbeciles. witnesses, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so this one Brilliant Protestant man. guy with his nine kids, all girls. Yeah. Wow, yeah, you awesome. women. They're awesome. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. He and his wife have nine kids. They're evangelical Christians. He came up to me, we've known for years. He didn't know Scott Hahn, John Bergsma, or I like talking about the faith yeah, or whatever, yeah. that Scott and John are kind of famous or whatever. So one day he comes up to me a few months ago. He goes, Mike, the Holy Spirit, this is no joke. He said, and I know it's, it's amazing. Mm. He said, the Holy Spirit moved me to confess my sins to a priest. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> he said, I went to this local paradise. He said, I, I needed to confess my sins to a priest and receive the, that, hear, the, hear the words that God's forgiven me. So I went to this Catholic, random Catholic parish. Wow. I found, and this nice lady said, he goes, I don't know what I'm doing here, but the Holy Spirit's moved me to confess. She goes, Come right here in line. So she put him in, this old lady put him in line. He gets in. He goes, I get to the priest. I'm thinking, oh, what's going to happen? And he yeah. said, Father, the Holy Spirit moved me here to confess my sins. And the priest said, you're in the right place. It was He's beautiful. God. It was beautiful. And, and now, and he knows real well. It's as if God doesn't need us to be fully well, functional. That's there, right. To do so, what he does. <laughs> so, and he knows, he and his wife, and they talk to us about, oh, what's going on with this synod, or what's going on with this document, or this decision, or Strickland, and that kind of stuff. Like, what are we doing yeah, with this? Yeah. They know all that. But they're becoming Catholic because Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit, has moved them. And now wow. they're entering the church in a couple weeks from this filming. Yeah, it's amazing. Praise they God. and all their nine kids, and one of our daughters is their a sponsor for one of their girls. That's it is amazing. Incredible. Yeah, and oh. so that's the thing. We're, we're Catholic because of Jesus. Popes have a special role, mm. but they're not. Yeah. You can have you know problems, and we can survive it. It's okay. Yeah, and I, I want to land on this too. There, there's like with any relationship with a father. Um, yeah, it, it's my job as I as I get older. I, I see things in me that are wounds from my parents, and they're, they're watching. Nothing. There's nothing you ever did wrong, <laughs> Mom and Dad. Uh, my kids, I tell my kids. I know your parents. They're awesome. They're amazing. Yeah, yeah. But I tell my kids, my insurance will cover your counseling. Okay? I, I, you, you got to exist. You're welcome. <laughs> right? right? Uh, but, but, this is, <laughs> but at some point, like, your, your yeah. stuff is your <laughs> stuff. <laughs> And, and the healthy response yeah, to, yeah. to me as, as their dad is to say, well, here's some problems, and yet here's the blessing, and I want to give thanks, and then deal with the problems as if they're my own, because they are. Right. Because right. they are at the right. end. You know, they're, they're like, this is my life, right. you know? Right. And, and uh, the, the same is true with, with the spiritual fatherhood uh, of, of the church. Uh, that, that there's something to give thanks for. I, I quote yes. Pope Francis at every event I do. Yeah, yeah, talking, yeah. We're talking about the core, heart of the gospel. I love Evangelii Gaudium and lots of stuff in it and right. based a lot of my ministry on it. So people who are watching again, you say, Chris is now anti-Francis, you'd shut it. Because it's <laughs> not true. It's not true. You know, but, but that, it's okay to take the whole mixed bag right, and, right. with any pope right. and, and say there are problems because human beings have not been extracted from the equation right. by the will That's of God. Right. That's right. And as a member of our spiritual family, out of love for him, you know, he, he needs our love, he needs our prayers. Yeah. You know, he and is if a, there's a he problem, he is a soul who, for whom Jesus died. Yes, like us, and we're sh we're all schlubs, and we need help. And if there's a problem, uh, it, there's there's got to be um, a, a specific way to talk about that. It's right, not like what you right. see on X or previously Twitter, where people are just flying off no, the there handle. Are right like, this ways is actually and wrong a family. Ways. Yeah, no, there are right ways and wrong ways to talk yeah, about it. Yeah. That's right. Like 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 submitting a respectful dubium. Like, could you please clarify? Right, and, and there are people who will demonize that too. Yeah, but, but, like that, that but is, that's, a old, that's a long-standing tradition. It's even, right. in a sense, without the same word, it's in the New Testament. People asked the apostles to resolve the question about do Gentiles need to be circumcised, and they resolved it in the mm -hmm. Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. 
And so dubia, plural, dubium singular, is just, can you please clarify this? That's yeah. all. And yeah. that's a very good thing to do. Yeah, and it's, and it's okay if, if he, on, our, on our level as schlep layman, yeah. that we, we, we have questions, we raise them, yeah. we're respectful that this is, a, you know, I'm talking about the Pope as I talk about my dad. Right, with, and with like the, you said, you're not cra- If you're having problems, that's okay. You're not crazy. You're not crazy. It's, it's all right. It's, all it's right. okay to have, to have questions. But it also shouldn't shake your faith at the core. That's right. It should Absolutely. not. Because Absolutely. this church is, I, I don't receive any Pope in Holy Communion. Right. 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 Beautiful. Yeah. I received Jesus. That's right. That's right. Oh, man. Well, I, I, ho- I hope we gave some peace of mind today. Yeah. I hope we did. Then to me. I did to me too. Good to see you. It's so good to see you, man. Yeah. I love you guys. Make sure you like, subscribe, share this with people you know. Share this with, with the with the person in your life who's struggling right now with their Catholic faith and wondering is are the problems in the church or the politics I'm watching play out, which frankly have happened in every generation, but now we have the luxury of seeing it firsthand and you realize how your sausage is made. Maybe you don't want to. Right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know what's in my hot dog. Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you know, it, it's, hopefully this gives you some peace. Share it with that person who's struggling. Share it with that Protestant friend who thinks I can't become a Catholic because whether it's John Paul II or Benedict or Francis, I, I don't want to worship the Pope. Dude, you don't have to. That's not what this is about. And you must not. You must not. That's right. That's against the church's teaching <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and history. Uh, so share this with people who will help and bless, and thank you for blessing us. Become a missionary of joy. Support this mission. Carry it forward. Make it happen. God bless you guys. I love you, Mike. So good to be with you, man. <laughs> you too. Yeah, oh, got microphones old stuck in. <laughs> yeah.